This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. and Happy New Year. You're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, Rod Davis, and this is episode 41. And this week, uh, we've got an interview with Vinay Nair, who is one of the co-founders and CEO of Lightful. Now, Lightful is a social good tech company um, that works with charities and social enterprises um, in the UK, uh, helping them to kind of navigate new technology and put it to use in raising uh, funds and also telling their stories more effectively. So I met Vinay um, a little while ago, sort of not long before Christmas, and we had a really interesting chat about sort of shared interest in the whole tech for good space and some of the kind of wider challenges around technology so i thought it'd be really good to get him on the podcast uh, and we had a really interesting chat um covered all sorts of areas kind of focusing on the, the central idea of storytelling and kind of how technology can help charities to to tell stories more effectively so we talked about you know the way in which so, social media has potentially kind of leveled the playing field between organizations of all sorts of different sizes when it comes to telling their stories and finding an audience um we talked about whether there's sometimes a tension between the the drive to to kind of focus on storytelling and emotional connection and the drive to focus on uh more kind of objective measures of of success and things like kind of measures of social return um we talked about the way in which some of the this kind of challenges around social media and the the incentives it creates and the the kind of negative side of the attention economy presented a challenge for charities in terms of how they engage with social media platforms um we talked uh, about the way in which you know, social media and other tech um is not just allowing kind of existing organizations to to connect in different ways but also creating entirely new ways for people to organize um, we sort of talked about the whole new power um, idea because we both read the book uh, and found it really interesting and, and kind of mused on some of the challenges that kind of um, non-hierarchical, flatter network models might present for traditional organisations. Uh, and that led us on to, to have a chat about Giving Tuesday, which we're both sort of um, indirectly involved uh, with in one way or another through through the organisations we work for. Um, and then at the end, I got Vinay to give me uh, some of his thoughts on what he thought were the kind of main tech developments that are going to be having a big impact on charities in the coming years. Um, so without further ado, uh, let's get into the conversation. I should just flag up that there is one point where I had a bit of a problem with the Skype connection cutting out. Um, I've cleaned it up a bit, but it, there's going to be a slight jump. So if, if there's a point at which you feel like you've missed something, um, don't worry, it's not you, it's the recording. Um, I've left it as is because I think it's just about okay and, and you can kind of pick up the thread of, of what Vin is saying for the rest of his answer. So I didn't want to get rid of it completely, but hopefully it works for everyone. Okay, so I'll be back at the end of the podcast um, with a few messages and a bit of housekeeping. But other than that, let's get on with it. Okay, great. So I'm here with uh, Vinay Nair from Lightful. Hi, Vinay. 
Hey, Rod, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, and maybe the, the best place to start before we kind of get into the meat of what we're talking about today is if you just say a bit about, you know, yourself and your background and Lightful and, and how that came about. Yeah, so really pleased to uh, to speak to you on the podcast, avid listener. Um, I'm sure you say you get everybody saying that at the start, but I actually mean it. Um, Flattery will get you everywhere, don't I? <laughs> yeah, plug, plug. Um, so no, I really do mean it. Thanks, Rod. It's it's great to speak. My, my um, background originally from India. I grew up in Ireland. Been living in the UK now for almost 20 years. Um, started my career in the private sector uh, in finance, and about 10 years ago, um, shifted across into this world of, um, I don't even know what to call it, we used to call it third sector, didn't we, but social impact. Um, and a lot of my focus really has been around how to use the tools of business and technology and finance to help to try and achieve kind of both financial returns as well as, as, well as positively correlated social and environmental impact. Um, and I've done a few different things working uh, a lot in international development in South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, lived in Mozambique for a while, um, working in impact investing and across the UK working in social investment. Uh, and a few years ago, a couple of friends and I, uh, Carlos Miranda and, and Johnny Munan, really conceived of the idea of Lightful. I guess the, 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 the context was as, you know, we, you know, it's kind of as Deliveroo and, and, and Uber and these sorts of companies were, were really starting to come into the mainstream. And we were kind of thinking, you know, like seriously, takeaways and minicabs. I mean, what about, you know, I was traipsing up and down the country you know, on a train pretty much every day when I was working in, in social investment at, uh, at SASC, Social and Sustainable Capital, meeting amazing organizations, great stories to tell. But actually, the opportunities afforded by technology was largely bypassing the particularly smaller technologies, smaller charities, as well as larger ones and trusts and foundations. And we thought, well, wait a minute, if this is happening over there, what about the sector that matters the most? And that's kind of what got us to um, co-found Lightful, um, really to help small charities to raise more awareness, raise more funds for their work, help slightly larger charities and, and trusts and foundations um, often develop slightly more bespoke um, solutions to um, discover how technology can help them to deliver more impact, whether it's raising more, more funds uh, themselves or service delivery or, or various other things as well. And so it's been a, a fun journey. We work with some amazing orgs, including, of course, we're partners with with CAF and uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about Giving Tuesday and stuff. So it's been a it's been a fun journey and, and it feels like it's a, um, an exciting time in the context of a pretty challenging background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in, in terms of kind of helping charities to harness some of the potential positive power of, of technology, I know you've done a lot of work trying to kind of help them just to get to grips with social media and kind of offering, you know, a service to them that helps them to tell their stories via that. Is is that the kind of core focus of what you do? Or, or are there sort of broader elements of, of using technology as well? Yeah, that's one of the core elements. Probably I get, we can almost group them into two. Um, the first is particularly when we work with smaller charities, it's how do they, you know, recognizing um, the paucity of, of time and resources, in some cases of uh, experience as well. How can we help when you meet them in real life and you kind of have that wow moment? and um, many, many people doing high-impact work that inspire you, well, actually, how can the tools of technology help them to broadcast that? How can they rise above their noise, amplify their voice, um, strengthen relationships with their supporters, um, um, you know, have, have kind of calls to action around volunteering or support or fundraising as well? We can talk about that more as well, but that's definitely one big part of, of what Lightful does, and we've created 
the world's first social media management platform built specifically for the needs and outcomes of, of charities and nonprofits and social enterprises and so on. The other part of the business is what we call Life for Labs, which is a bit more of a, of a kind of creative technology consultancy. And that's where we work with slightly larger charities, where we kind of run through, um, in kind of in more bespoke ways, discover um, what challenges are, where technology can help them have sort of somewhat more um, specific bespoke uh, ideas. You know, sometimes it can be non-sexy stuff, but actually hugely impactful, whether it's you know, improving operational efficiency, CRM, um, data, insights, we're a partner of salesforce.org, um, and actually just saving people a lot of time and efficiency and effectiveness. Other times it can be uh, more around, you know, creating um, bringing the community of interest together through, um, you know, community portals and understanding how um, you really focus around adoption and helping these larger organizations with larger uh, groups really kind of coalesce around uh, specific areas. Um, and then there can be many other things beside, I mentioned service delivery. Um, you know, they're interesting. In some ways, we aren't like, you know, we work with organizations from the arts to older people to, you know, we work with Help Refugees, um, London's Air Ambulance, who are celebrating uh, their 30 uh, year uh, birthday uh, as well. You know, lots of organizations where it isn't about the impact area as such for us, but more that how can technology help them to achieve their goals and ultimately deliver more impact. And that's really what Life of Labs really focuses on. Cool. And just just on the sort of the question of social media, um, particularly and, and around storytelling, I mean, it, it strikes me that one of the, the sort of big shifts that that has seen is the ability to communicate directly with a mass audience. And you sort of see that when politicians use it effectively and not always in a good way with you know, the way in which Trump is able to kind of talk directly to his base and these sorts of things. But in, in the, the charity world, it does strike me that when organisations get it and, and kind of understand how to use the tools properly often small organizations the ability to kind of amplify their voice and get their story across in a way that previously would have been impossible is amazing do you i mean do you think that the there's still quite a long way to go to realize that potential and what do you think is kind of holding charities back from from using it to its to its maximum good i love the uh let's start with the big one <laughs> You drop the 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 T bomb in there as well in social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. Um, I think it is a mixed bag, but actually, there, I see a lot of opportunity and and and, and kind of a, a sense of hard edged hope to particularly how small charities can can use social media and kind of online tools much more effectively. I mean, there are lots of really powerful examples of of organisations that are um, committing the time. Um, having support from more senior people uh, that actually it's sort of an investment worth making, um, cutting across silos that can often happen around, say, comms and fundraising or service delivery, understanding how their um, users, beneficiaries, maybe trustees who might be better known, corporate partnerships, how that can come together and, um, as you say, sort of amplify their voice across. Um, it definitely has level the playing field in many ways, although I wouldn't say it's um, it's completely flat at all. Um, I guess where we see the successes are where you have small charities that are um, really trying to, to your, to your very early points around storytelling, really trying to start telling that story. 
knowing kind of how to articulate whether it's like you know the problem or the enemy that they're trying to tackle the kind of the hero what what are they trying to do share a little bit about kind of what what actions that can be taken to do it and importantly actually consistently engaging and following up and, and supporting the the stories you know if you look at christmas where you had you know the book trust were doing some exciting work around um, festive book parcels, mind we're doing. Yeah, it's a very stressful time for a lot of people. And I've, it's it's great to see um, the importance of mental health, although hopefully some more funding to come uh, to support the area. But, you know, this idea of a crafternoon, they coined, you know, hashtag crafternoon, where people were spending time with friends, kind of building craft and and, and building those bonds around, um, around community and um, you know, refuge. We're doing some powerful stuff around uh, around poems that you could read from the top down, bottom up, giving you just the just the shattering nature of, of domestic violence. So, you know, I think there are some inspirational examples that we see of people getting it, wanting to get it, trying to get it, willing to try, um, engaging. You know, listening, but then engaging, and then um, and then often culminating in a, in a specific ask that need not be a, a financial ask as well. So, so I think that's kind of all of that exists. You know, if you think of the main sort of social networks around Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and so on, that's what exists for for um, the large charities, the small charities. That you know, our sector doesn't have typically this kind of thing of like, you know, how do we inject purpose into what we do? It's like, well, actually, that's at the heart of what we do. And you see a lot of audiences, younger audiences, but across the age spectrum, looking for that. You know, what is our what is our brand? Can we find good stories? Well, actually, there abundant and maybe it's being written up in a major donor report at the end of the year well maybe that can be reused or there's videos so uh, you know there, there's a lot in your question in terms of of um what's happening and how more can happen to to achieve it um I, i'll start with that rod and then see if uh, if there's specific areas you want to hone in on yeah that's great i mean one thing i'm i'm kind of particularly interested in i'm really interested to get your thoughts on is there, there does seem to be a growing awareness of the the sort of power of telling compelling stories and I guess it's something that charities have always tried to do uh you know to a greater or lesser degree of, of success and as you say actually that's where they have an enormous advantage over different types of organizations because if, if they've got anything they've got compelling stories to tell but but on the one hand you've got this sort of focus on storytelling which seems to play to the kind of the heart bit of charity, you know, kind of uh, getting people emotionally and, and empathetically and getting them to connect. But then also there's this whole other, you know, thread of thinking about the need to measure things more effectively and kind of come up with with better measures of social impact and, and these sorts of things, which obviously is more about head. Do, do you think that organisations do find themselves a bit caught between these two things and, and, and having to make some sort of choice about which path they go down? Or have you seen examples where people balance you know the kind of the head and the heart bits of charity effectively i think there are definitely I, I don't see it as necessarily two areas in conflict um i take it that there's kind of this head and heart element um and, and let me tell you why i don't necessarily see them in conflict i think you're right that many most almost all um charities such enterprise and so on have have very powerful stories to tell. And I think the the element is then to try to start, you know, the, the challenges start existing when it's like, well, how do you translate that into on a digital way? You know, something on, um, on LinkedIn is very different to something on Instagram. So there are, um, you know, hard skills to pick up here, but all of it can be done by application, trial, testing, being willing to kind of put it out, 
looking at analytics around what's working. And I guess that's where my head bit kind of comes to it. If you then start trying to evaluate what's working well, whether you're trying to increase awareness uh, or engagement, so, you know, uh, likes or comments or, or growth or, or, or impressions, um, you can start matching that power of the storytelling with analytics around um, what, what's working and, and then try and do more of it. If I, if I look back at some of the examples I was citing, whether it's like, you know, Book Trust or, you know, Action for Happiness has this great run, these monthly kind of calendars um, that, that come out. They, they are really focused on helping to tell the story, building a relationship with their audience rather than always it being sort of a, a, a transactionary piece. I think that's something arguably private companies do badly because of their like focus on the sale. But I think even in our sector, we sometimes focus a little bit on that so what question. And sometimes it can just be around that engagement piece. But then if you are complementing that heart with the head around what's working, maybe through those social impact metrics, you have interesting stories to tell. X percentage of, you know, I, I don't have to my hand, you know, what Refuge would say around, um, you know, the work that they do, but X percentage of uh, women fleeing domestic uh, uh, violence had this sort of outcome. That can also translate then through to something that has real resonance as you've taken people on this journey around it. And it can culminate in signing up to newsletters, it can culminate to um, Christmas campaigns and come, you know, International Women's Day on the 8th of March. You know, you've, you've started warming people up through a, a mix of head and heart and being smart you're sort of yourself around um, what you're doing it. Um, maybe we can talk about setting sort of smart SMART goals when you set out doing that. I think I don't necessarily, Rod, see them as in conflict. And I think there are lots of powerful examples of orgs kind of coalescing the two. No, and, and I mean, I clearly drew, drew it very simplistically there. Just sort of, it's definitely something historically you kind of see that there are these two different schools of thought and they tend to push in uh, or pull in one direction or another. And it's always, you're right, it always falls somewhere in the middle. Um, but I guess, you know, I mean, one of the things, you know, when you were saying there about it being a combination, you mentioned up front that you part of your background is in working in the field of kind of impact investing and, and social investing, where obviously there's more focus, I guess, on the the sort of rigorous metrics and, and analytic measures of, of success. Did, did you find in your work there, where I'm assuming you were kind of talking more to institutional funders and social investors, that the kinds of you know evidence they wanted to feel comfortable that what they was fun, what they were funding worked is significantly different from what your average donor, sort of you know uh, small small donor, uh, would want. I would say, oh, this is. You know, I trained as an economist. It's sort of an answer is it depends. I'd, <laughs> I'd sorry. I, I'd say without it being a fudge. So let me just justify what I'm about to say. It's different. And let me sort of articulate why I think that's the case. Um, you know, when it came to social, when it comes to social investors, social investment, impact investing, um, I think a lot of it is really trying to articulate. You know, so you think social investment is, and I'm not an accountant, but just to go down a finance path briefly, it's capital. It's not a replacement for a reduction of, in revenue, meaning it's money that can help you to generate 
more money. It's not um, actually a, a contract that you receive. And therefore, the nature of what social investors are wanting to understand is with that investment that, that they're making in terms of capital, what is the revenue? You know, maybe you're expanding from one part of, um, of I don't know, of Lancashire to a different part of Lancashire or to a different county or borough or, or whatever. And so what they're trying to understand is kind of the, the inputs, outputs and indeed, you know, outcomes and impacts of doing that. I think the difference is the 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 kind of punter, maybe even ma the major donor, and I've spent some time when I was previously at, at Acumen Fund, working with a lot of major donors in the UK and around Europe, it is actually trying to understand with that, that donation that they make or the philanthropy that they give, what are the kind of um, activities that you take and what's the kind of impact that you generate? So it's, it's, it is slightly different. I wouldn't say that necessarily the, the kind of social investor is, you know, only about uh, it's sort of this hard-nosed uh, group who say, oh, well, we just want to see what happens and how do, what's your margin and therefore what's your ability to, to repay the capital. There, there is genuine desire um, to understand kind of the outcomes and the impact that's getting achieved as well. I guess the, the um, nature, in my experience at least, and I welcome your thoughts and, and pushback if you want and, and, and reflections, Rod, is that when it comes to the kind of uh, the dona donation piece, there's still a high expectation of what happens there's also high expectation, by the way, I think the stat is something like 70% of, sorry for the word, millennials uh, say they'll give more if they know the impact of, the don the, the, of their donation. So I think if you can actually play that to a strength, I mentioned following up early, I think both are looking for, for related elements. It's not that one is more head and heart and whatever, but it's understanding kind of the activities you want to take with the money to generate sort of, in one case, the ability to repay the money. But in the other, in the other, and in both, kind of the outcomes. Yeah, no, I, well, that's an extremely considered answer, which is which is great. No, I mean, I I, I agree. You know, again, I sort of paint it much uh, less nuanced than I actually kind of think about it um, myself. There, I mean, I, I can't. I mean, if I had the answer to exactly what it is that I think that sort of average donors would respond best to I'd, I'd be a very successful fundraising consultant uh, rather than sort of talking about it here on the podcast but but it does strike me there's it's a really kind of live conversation at the moment I think particularly against the backdrop of all of the controversy around the idea that there's been a kind of decline in trust in charities um, and you know people sort of pushing back on that idea often I think the follow-up to that is you know what donors need is more certainty about where the money goes and whether that's through transparency or different accountability mechanisms or hard metrics you know that's usually part of the answer and you know the the i guess the thing that i've thought in the past was there was a point a few years ago where i felt like some people were pushing the idea that if you just came up with a kind of universal social impact metric and kind of rolled that out that would do the job because everybody would then be happy and give more and i just never thought that was true for most average donors. I think maybe institutional funders would respond to that kind of thing because they've got you know different kinds of priorities. But actually, even if you have those stats and measurements, for an individual uh, donor, that's always got to be within the context of kind of compelling stories that tell them something that connects emotionally with them about how their particular donation was put to use. So I guess it's kind of what what is it that you have transparency about or what is it that you relate to a do, to a donor that gives them that that kind of confidence and it feels like a lot of people are trying to to work through this this issue at the moment in the sector yeah i, I think that's 
Excellent. And I agree with all of that. And I certainly don't have the kind of um, kind of clean um, answer as well. And, you know, hence, I'm talking on the podcast and the other side of the to you. Um, what I would say, though, I guess, is if you think about um, think about how charities are fundraising from individuals, whether it's kind of uh, the, the you know punter in the street or, or bigger donors and, and, and actually a lot of where is the money going and kind of the lives that are uh, changed and improved and, and the, the, the ties of community strengthened. But I do think where we bump up against it, and funnily enough, perhaps where social investors are more willing to engage in the realities of, you know, delivering a, a contract for a local authority or whatever, and the frankly, just the overhead that you need to be able to do that, and very willing to understand and engage on that, they may push back, but they at least will engage on it, is because I still think, uh, and I certainly wasn't planning and, and thinking we would be talking about this, but that core cost issue just is part of, I think, where the challenge or the sense of like, oh, how do we sort of reflect it and how much of the money went to it? And I think until and unless we are able to share that actually, um, you know, you need to have great people, you need to have great systems, otherwise you do risk things like, you know, safeguarding failures and so on because there's underinvestment in process and so on. You do need to have, you know, great in, in my world around, you know, technology and data systems so that you give more personalized journeys at scale and who doesn't want to have that, but you need to invest that and donors' money would also be contributing to that. I feel like maybe that's part of the, and, and one sort of addendum point is, that's where I worry sometimes if we do get silver bullet answers. You and I, in previous times, Rod, have spoken a little bit about blockchain and I sometimes, to be perfectly candid and, and sorry if it's a bit direct, struggle with that because I feel like it's an element and I get, I love the element of transparency, but understanding that that is suddenly going to resolve everything doesn't get there because there are these other elements like core costs that I think frankly are, are still elephants in the rooms. It's amazing, 2019 and, and it's still the case. I absolutely 100% agree on that. So, I mean, it's one of the things that I've certainly, you know, said about blockchain for quite a while around the the potential for it to offer kind of radical transparency. I think any assumption that, you know, potentially like a hundred percent transparency would solve all these problems is totally misguided and naive. Because if you if you haven't addressed some of those fundamental issues around trying to explain the necessity for for core costs or the need to spend on certain things that might be perceived as overheads, and somebody implements a technological solution that just allows donors to see all of the information for themselves, but they haven't been given any guidance on what information is actually useful in terms of understanding effectiveness and that kind of thing, that to me would be disastrous because people would, obviously what they would go on is fundraising ratios or overhead ratios or something like that. And and particularly if they were then able to take action on that in such a way that not only, not only did they choose to give to organisations on the basis of those ratios or to say that their money only went to the front line, but they were able to stipulate that it was only able to be spent on that the whole core cost issue would get much worse very quickly, I think. So no, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I've seen some 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 really kind of wrong-headed things said about the potential for for blockchain uh, around transparency, which I've I've you know I've certainly pushed back on. No, I agree with you. Um, just I just wanted to come back because um to make sure we we cover uh, various things in the time we've got. One one of the things I was really kind of keen to talk to you about because I've seen um. You've kind of been interviewed elsewhere talking about trying to kind of um, 
regain a sense that social media can be a kind of force for good and something that is that is owned you know by people in a space for kind of positive discourse you know one of the things i think we're increasingly aware of is the way in which you know online discourse particularly on social media the the incentives there have become quite perverse so the the kind of the economic incentive to uh, to get clicks and likes and retweets and these things tends to lead people towards pushing more extreme versions of viewpoints and you know the, the discourse very quickly breaks down into very uncivil discourse do you what what do you think this means for for charities that find themselves trying to kind of engage people's attention and sort of compete against for attention in in that sort of marketplace do do they kind of get dragged into it or do they try and stay above it and if they do do they just risk not being able to cut through at all it's it's a great question i think it's vital that we address it as a sector but you know i'm so happy to talk about it with you on on the call i guess this time like or sorry it was february the 6th last year we ran a campaign um, which got amazing engagement and trended on Twitter and, and tens of millions of, of um, impressions and so on to hashtag reclaim social, like reclaimsocial.com. This idea that how do we reclaim social media as a force for good, exactly as, as the point that you were saying. And it really resonated and it really landed with a lot of people. I think a couple of things have happened even in that intervening um, sort of year or so. Um some positive, some many negative. I guess the positive that I would flag is on, you know, and of course, like as a regular listener of your podcast, Rod, is is the amazing book that came out last year, New Power. Um, and you know, you you have discussed that on on the pod, um, where we actually have seen organisations in this environment of competing for attention and noise and breaking news and so on, actually really finding ways from the bottom up to engage their community and get them actively involved. And, you know, the, of course, there are many, many uh, very well-known and powerful ones like, you know, hashtag me too. But actually the book is so compelling because it says, you know, some of those smaller elements and how technology is acting as that uh, force for good. And and I guess part of our reclaim social is thinking back again. And and, and I, I, I love the book because it helps us to now give a framework to sort of the elements that we were thinking of what, existed previously and how this was used do do charities have to rise above it i guess i'm literally reading at the moment uh, becoming michelle obama i haven't got to her line of you know when they go low we go high yet but my instinct is isn't that surely given the the outcomes given the stronger society tackling poverty inequality that we're looking to achieve surely that's the path that we have to go and and fight tooth and nail to actually make that the reality, there are really tough headwinds. There are nefarious activity, which of course the Cambridge Analytica and so on, we that came to, to light last year as well. But I do hold out a sense of, of a couple of things that that actually maybe we can keep making inroads. I really think this sense of purpose and engagement and authenticity is something that everybody is craving. And maybe we can come back. You talked about trust and charities. Maybe we can talk about that again and, and what, what the state of play. I'd love to know your thoughts at the moment, Rod, as well. But that sense of authenticity that exists, that again, if you think back to my starting point, when we even co-founded Lightful and you meet these amazing organizations in person, you can't buy that. You can have as many workshops and you can try and bottle this 
for a lot of kind of more conventional um, kind of private companies that try it. And, you know, fair play, I guess, to some extent that they do. However, where this is kind of natural, I do feel like there's something very compelling there. Possibly even paradoxically, we're seeing the social networks, Facebook in particular, increasing in their algorithms positively where friends and family share. And when we find, for example, where people are getting feedback on the impact of their donations, sharing that with their, uh, for example, Facebook friends, seeing that go higher in the algorithm, sharing more of that positivity, perhaps for those to also click through, maybe they're able to give through Android Pay and they that organization starts getting it as well. And, and actually sort of the, the shares and the comments actually acting in a positive way. I think the elements actually are the tools exist. There are nefarious activities. There are barriers. There's budget given some paid, uh, given the importance now that the networks put on paid content versus organic content. So it's not that there's a clear path. Um, it definitely feels noisier and angrier. But, you know, we're going we're to be running a, a hackathon soon with a couple of partnerships in partnership with like Comic Relief and a few other people really thinking about women and girls and online harassment that that charities and, and non-profits, NGOs, social enterprises working with women and girls, particularly in the developing world, uh, face in that topic. And I think we kind of look to have to tackle it head on and see where some of the challenges need to be addressed directly and then where some of the opportunities actually ex do they exist. And if they do exist, which I believe they do, how do you actually leverage that and and yeah, frankly, reclaim social media for good. This hashtag reclaim social really sort of, I think, is more important than ever. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's really interesting that you, you mentioned authenticity a couple of times there, because I, I think this is a kind of huge issue for civil society over the, the next few years, because I, I guess, you know, on the one hand, the, the way in which we've, you know, seen sort of proliferations of multiple kind of alternative facts and, and these sorts of things and the difficulty of telling what's true and what's not on the internet and the arrival of things like deep fakes and whatever that's probably going to make everything much worse. The question of how do you trust people information online seems to be massive. And it, and it seems in an odd way, people are going back to very old-fashioned ways of, of kind of ensuring authenticity. So you trust people that you already know offline. And, and I guess to some extent, people might trust organisations that they know offline, because I suppose in 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 the future if there are you know lots a proliferation of lots of different networked social change organizations that's you know potentially very powerful but it might become quite difficult to tell which of them are genuine and which are potentially ones that have been you know set up by governments or whatever uh, particularly if we're talking about kind of repressive regimes around the world just to try and you know astroturf or create a sense of of grassroots uh, movement towards uh, one particular thing and actually the role there for existing charities and civil society organizations in the online world is precisely to say look we have been around for ages we do have that hard-won authenticity actually we're kind of here to try and help you navigate that space um so i think it'll be kind of you know really interesting to see how that that plays out um i just wanted to, to go on actually because you mentioned again um the new power and obviously as you, you very kindly plugged we had uh, jeremy Hymans uh, on on the podcast last year um you know i think it's a really interesting book as well and i'm kind of one of the things i'm really fascinated by at the moment is the whole question of sort of network movements and horizontal structures as opposed to kind of hierarchies 
Um, you know, when when you're trying to promote the power of of social media and and these ways of connecting to to charities, do you ever get a sense that it it may not be so much about you know existing traditional hierarchical organisations using them as tools? It might be more about the way in which they sort of fundamentally change our ability to to organize and and if it is do you think that's there's actually an, an, a degree to which it presents quite a big challenge to traditional charities yeah i think uh, well fabulous um insight and, and thank you great question uh, as well um i do think so i do think that sense of disintermediation is i think it's kind of broader than charities uh, it affects charities, but it affects, I think, broader engagement with institutions generally. I mean, I remember studying, um, uh, you know, and Darren Osimoglu, like one of the, the great economists, you know, really focusing on the fact that institutions matter. But we see now and, and a lot of evidence around what that plays out in, in kind of economic growth and, and social uh, change. But when we actually look at you know, comments like, you know, nobody believes in experts anymore. And the sense of, of um, these, as you're talking about proliferation of networks and, and this sense of disintermediation, peer-to-peer um, crowdfunding. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, trans- we've talked a bit about transparency and so on. I do think it's actually a, a, a move that's happening. What's difficult to tell, however, due to your exact points around trust is that if that necessarily is like a big theme, which means that all nobody will ever want to care about institutions anymore, and actually it's all about this kind of networked effect. And I think part of the element that that we're seeing with um, you know a, a lot of a lot of this fake news and, and various who to trust and, and so on is actually maybe I, I wonder I don't necessarily have this hypothesis that we see actually have moved around trusted institutions come back. I think that's probably where we go. If you force me to have a view, uh, if if I look, you know, one of our one of my uh, wonderful colleagues at Lightful Faith, Shastain, joined us from Charity Water, and you know they take a really clear piece. They're they're a charity that fundraises incredibly in the tens of millions every year, um, but they're actually they actually disperse that money to um, projects and NGOs and so on in uh, the developing world. But they provide kind of quite radical transparency and that again that impact of the donation and what your money is is funding and so on. Um, if you look at some of the big technology companies that are getting a lot of attention and I think fairly as well, such as Monzo doing financial services and, and what they're doing, again there's a sense around um, understanding what you're doing and kind of that network effect. But it's still an organization that exists that is kind of using that the positive elements, I guess, of the sense of that towards helping people to um, understand what they can they can do. If you look at GDPR and consent preferences, it, it we kind of had that <laughs> crazy flurry of like, a, can I still send you these email things? We never necessarily tipped into, which I guess I thought might have happened a little bit more, people wanting to kind of control their own data and so on. And I, I do think and wonder that that may still happen and understand where your data is being used and who's processing it and who owns it and well, you own it uh, and so on. And so this idea of being ethical and transparent and, and compliant means that institutions do have a role to play. So I, I kind of a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, I guess, I think it is already a direction of travel. I wonder if we retrench back a little bit and, and that's a lot for a small charity to then think, how do I um, make myself relevant given another 
dimension of uncertainty. And I guess that then it all comes back to trust and communications and authenticity and storytelling and engagement and follow up and kind of loops back to what we started this pod talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And and just just going back to New Power for a second, I mean, one of the things I really liked about the book when I actually read it, which, you know, I think up front, I, I would have assumed that it was trying to put forward a thesis that it was all about, you know, networks and kind of getting rid of existing organisations. And it wasn't really, it was, you know, quite level headed, I thought about the strengths and weaknesses of both types of approaches and how you had to find find ways of kind of harnessing the best bits of both, which I guess is what we're all going to be doing over the the coming years um which brings me the the idea of kind of traditional organizations trying to harness the power of network effects brings me seamlessly onto giving tuesday which obviously CAF is uh is kind of involved as the the lead organization in the uk and, and you guys have been involved for a couple of years now i think that's right yeah exactly. Um, yeah so i mean what to you what's what's the kind of you know strength of of that model which obviously started in the us but has kind of grown exponentially um over the last five years or so i think I mean, I'm a big kind of passionate advocate of of Giving Tuesday uh, and sort of really excited to see what kind of played out last year. And we actually work very closely with the Gates Foundation and so on um, as well. I think there are a couple of things that are very powerful and, you know, and, um, you know, oh, my God, I'm hot tipping and crediting you a lot today, Rod. But, um, you know, the the research that you guys commissioned, I think you gov to sort of understand what the general public is making, because, of course, we don't have Thanksgiving. So you don't even get that warm, fuzzy feeling before, you know, but we do have bloody Black Friday (laughs) um, and Cyber Monday. So I do think actually it's an interesting time um, to start coalescing and crescendoing and i think what will be interesting to play out given the time of year is how that interplays with christmas i think we've seen some really we actually work very closely with the big give um alex day and, and his his great team and you know we've seen how they work very closely with you know hundreds of charities you know they saw um eight and a half thousand um donations um four and a half million pounds raised up on previous year um where you know all a lot of these organizations started culminating i guess part of what we do in our in our day jobs and what our platform helps organizations to do through uh, you know a, a function we have called story builder is really how do you tell that story and culminate and, and and kind of crescendo up and i think giving tuesday is an amazing international gaining and recognition example of it there is something lovely i'm sure it was by design but it isn't like donation tuesday it's giving tuesday and you see the stats where uh, i think it was 26 percent of people who um who, who know i think 11 percent of people that YouGov had interviewed know about giving tuesday and of them 26 percent of people say they'll donate their time uh, or volunteer or get more engaged with charity or indeed and or give money so i think there's something very powerful around that and i think we were you know, excited to see it around Reclaim Social. In November, we also had You Made It Happen that NCVO and Akivo and Small Charities Coalition, Charity Comms and some great people kind of got behind. And again, I think the power of the network of people who are in civil society, who actually care, who can see how technology helps to, um, you know, build up to this kind of thing you made it happen was much more about acknowledging um the role of their supporters and what the impact that they could achieve was those sorts of days particularly giving tuesday but indeed some of these other fantastic days and there there are a number of others as well really helped to amplify us collectively compete for that attention which is hard and actually enter into more positive 
uh, feedback loops as well. So, um, you know, I, I actually can see it Giving Tuesday, well, we'll be part of it. So we hope to try and also be part of it continuing to grow uh, and, and seeing that sense of giving and, and engagement and, and support, the unique relationship that people have with, um, with the causes that they, they care about, continuing to kind of use digital tools to, to get more attention. Yeah, and I think I think it'll be really interesting um, next year. I mean, one of the things that I picked up actually in the, the sort of subsequent discussions about Giving Tuesday in the US was a slight sense there that for some people it had become too much just about kind of straightforward fundraising by existing nonprofits when the original intention was a much broader kind of campaign about social action of of all kinds including you know giving time and and you know giving to sort of non-charitable organizations and actually i think in in the uk it's it feels like it stayed a bit truer to that that initial vision and a lot of it is about people giving you know time and and expertise and and just kind of doing acts of, of good but it'll be kind of interesting to see if the the messaging shifts a bit next year to try and bring it back to that initial atten- uh, original intention um, I'm aware we're in danger of, of running long and you might run out of uh, time in your room. So I, I just, you know, uh, before before we sign off, I just wanted to chuck in a quick question, kind of gazing a bit to the future. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that I've done quite a lot of work on is sort of thinking about the impact of, of disruptive or slightly more kind of emergent tech on philanthropy and giving. And I know it's something that you guys do do a lot of experimentation around. What what do you sort of see as the the most likely next big thing um, into that will kind of have a big impact on the way in which people are able to support causes? You know, do you think it'll be the kind of virtual and augmented reality to drive empathy and tell stories? Do you think it'll be chatbots and giving through conversational AI or something totally different? Great, great question. Um, so I think there are a, a, a couple of things. I think. I think in some ways we need to make sure we we collectively um, get some of the core building blocks working well. So I think even before I answer that question, it's almost I don't know if it's a caveat as much as kind of a, a sense of, of how do we even get ourselves doing some of these things that we talked about around storytelling and engagement and spending you know a couple of hours a week scheduling out messages, seeing the analytics that's working, getting your colleagues to collaborate, all of that that kind of stuff, you know, investing in knowledge, understanding what's doing. So, so I feel like there's a big piece for us to successfully then to gaze into that future that we need more and more organizations to, to kind of do that, try that, do that. And I think the effectiveness uh, kind of grows very, very exponentially from that. With that, I think, I think the big piece for me probably is around uh, data and understanding where that takes us and understanding, you know, to the sense of ethical and transparent and compliant, not just about GDPR, but much more besides uh, as well. What can that offer in terms of opportunity and being very clear in terms of challenges across those three and other, I'm sure, dimensions as well? So so if you in the list that you said, you know, my my head tends to go towards the machine learning um, and artificial intelligence as kind of where I think that kind of frontier and opportunity exists. Where can, um, you know, that be used because of the volume of data existing in to, to support safe time or to help tell better stories or understand what's working, automate processes um, to reduce, you know, quote, quote unquote, the cognitive load around some of this given competing priorities. You know, we're seeing that in other aspects of our lives. Um, I think there are definitely um, 
not just challenges, kind of dangers that exist around this. But I do actually see if as a sector we can find those dimensions to 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 work with it. Um, I see great opportunity. I think, you know, things like bots, I mean, you could, you know, that's part of AI, I guess. And, and I think there's some great examples around um, augmented reality and it hasn't quite taken off the pace that we want. But um, I know that there's great opportunity around that storytelling and empathy building and relational capital. You know, um, we're seeing some really, really interesting innovations out there, not always only by the biggest charities, but but by smaller orgs trying things uh, as well. And, and I gave some examples. But uh, if you wanted me to pick one, uh, yeah, sorry for the blockchain enthusiasts, I, I wouldn't, as I say, sort of have it there personally, although I understand that, that a number of people do. M mine tends to be much more around that machine learning and, and AI as a way to help organizations and people to understand, make sure once they understand how their data being used and making sure it's ethical uh, and compliant and transparent, that um, we help, you know, Lifeful's mission, I guess maybe it's it's kind of, it's as you say, we, we do a lot of work in this area um, and it's a big passion of ours. Um, Beth Cantor is our senior advisor and, and she, her next book is going to be on this topic and, and she's our master trainer with our with our charities that use our platform. So uh, I guess it's kind of where my, my head is at. But, you know, Lifeful's mission ultimately is to help strengthen relationships between good people and great causes. And I think to the extent that these large volumes of data can can be used in that way, gives me a sense of of opportunity as we as we gaze ahead yeah no i mean i i totally agree i think of all the things that that i've looked at there's you know all the others remain interesting but the one where there's the sort of clearest path to something genuinely you know transformative happening in the next few years is is around harnessing those large data sets and applying machine learning to to kind of develop predictive models and understand patterns in ways we couldn't do before so no i'd, I'd totally be with you on that one um Okay, great. Well, thanks uh, ever so much for your time, Vinny. It's been great chatting to you. Uh, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can maybe drag you on again at some point in the future and uh, and pick up on some of these things a bit more. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks a million, Rodri, and look forward to speaking again soon. Take care. Great. Okay, so thanks again to Vinay for uh, giving up some time to, to come on the podcast. It was a really interesting chat. Hope you all enjoyed it. Um, if you're interested in kind of more thoughts on technology and the sort of positive potential and also some of the challenges it presents for charities and civil society, um, I've obviously done loads of work on that. So check out the Future Good campaign pages um, at uh, on the Charities Aid Foundation website. Also, just check out the Giving Thought pages where there's stuff on technology and a whole host of other issues around philanthropy and civil society. Um, why not follow me on Twitter? Actually, don't answer that question. There's all sorts of reasons not to, but please follow me on Twitter if you find these sorts of issues interesting at Rodri underscore H uh, underscore Davis. Um, I'll also give a plug to any bookworms out there that I've recently set up a, a new Twitter group called At uh, Philiteracy, um, which is for people who are interested in books about philanthropy and civil society, which seems to be proving popular. So check that out as well. Um, other than that, if you've got ideas for topics we could be covering on the podcast, people I could be interviewing, things you'd like us to do um, in the future, uh, drop me a line at givingthought@cafonline.org. Um, but apart from that, just keep listening, like, subscribe and tell all your friends about it. Bye.